Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergera.com. <laughs> my man. Oh, my goodness. Amen, Eli. My man. Oh, well, good morning. Welcome to Takeover Church. How you doing? Has anybody saved in here? Has anybody experienced the goodness of God in the land of the living in here? Come on, you know the... Wait, I almost said it. Uh, <laughs> wow, it's just off my tongue. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, um, I have the honor and privilege, literally, I mean that. I, I don't know what your church background is. I don't know many pastors you've talked to. Um, but man, I come from the pits and the Lord made me a pastor and I still don't understand this all these years later, but I've had the privilege of pastoring and, and leading in ministry for 18 years and for stewarding this amazing house for the Lord for the last six, this wonderful band of the Messiah's misfits. This is an honor and privilege and I mean that with everything in me. So thank you for being here if you're new. Thank you for being a part of this church. If you're family and friends today, I just want to say happy birthday. Happy birthday. Would you guys stand up? Would you give God a 10 second praise break? Come on, all over this place. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You know the deal. Praise God! Wow! Okay. Take over, kids. You can now be dismissed. I literally did the thing I told everyone not to do. All right. My voice is a little bit higher right now. It's, uh, it's okay. We'll figure it out. Oh. Wow. Leave it up to me to be the most un unprofessional being in the room. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you're good. You're good. You're good. Jesus loves you. I don't know who's screaming like a banshee. Bye, Eli. Oh, man. Whoa. Welcome to Takeover Church. I promise you. This is why we don't do gimmicks. One, because the Lord isn't in them. And two, I screw them up. So it's fantastic. Amen. Um, but truly, um, if you knew... If you knew the story of the last six years, if you knew the story of the last 18 years, if you knew even the story of this week, this, this moment, this, this meeting that we're having, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't just go lightly. It wouldn't just be another thing that you get to attend or you get to be a part of or you get to come to. Friends, I'm telling you, there is something in the heart of God called his dream for a bride to give to a son. And she goes by the name his church. And she is lovely and she is blemishless and she is blameless and she is laced in white and God fully intends on upholding his word that he has spoken and he has made inherent throughout scripture about what this bride will be. And for friends, for us in this house, we have determined, we have resolved within ourselves. We are going to be that bride that God can confidently give to his son, Jesus. For us, it is revelation for all day. It is may the lamb that was slain receive the reward for his suffering. And may it start with us. May it start today. May it start in this house. Friends, even just the last week, if you only knew what went into making this moment today happen.
I think you'd have a new revelation of God of how much he desires to meet with you. If you're new with us, I just want to tell you, I'm so glad that you're here on our sixth birthday. And let me make this abundantly clear if you haven't realized it yet. We exist to create a resting place for the Lord in Grand Rapids where his presence can dwell amongst his people and we see Jesus take over people's lives. This church is not about you. This church is about him. And it will always be that way because his church has never been about us. It's always been about him. And it just happens to be that whenever we lost the plot somehow over many years ago, there's a generation that's awakening to that revelation in the earth again. And I'm telling you, when this is about him, he'll be there. And when he's here, anything is possible. Amen. Amen. And I also want to just testify before you, I was in a car wreck this week. It was crazy. I got a accordion and a beetle. It sucked. And uh, tell you what, man, I came in today gingerly and uh, not just kind of my hair color. I came in today gingerly, though, but <laughs> Kelsey. But honestly, I felt the power of God rush through me as I got prayed over. I don't even know who was laying on me back here, but I just want to say thank you and testify before you. Our God is healer. Amen. And so I get to be my, I would have been my wild man self anyways, like to, to quote the great theologian, Jesse Ventura, I ain't got time to bleed, but we would have still done the party. But I'm telling you today, I'm healed. I'm good to go. And we are going to have a glorifying rest of the morning in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. Just a heads up. Here's how it's going to work. I'm going to preach my guts out. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to do the thing. And at the end of service, following worship, here's what I want to have you do. If you have already signed up to baptize, as we go into that last song, I want you to go and get ready, change your clothes, whatever you need to do. And then during that song, we're going to meet over here. I'm going to pray with you. We're going to speak, and we're going to get ready to do this. So my core team guys are going to be over to help me. If there are husbands that want to baptize their wives, if there's wives that want to be a part of baptizing their husbands, I encourage you to do so. I think that is significant. I think that is needed. And I think it's high time that we made baptism more than just this outward expression of an inward change. But we take it back 2,000 years to the early church that when baptism was really about baptizing you from death and into life, and into the family of Christ. Amen? It was less about this thing that we've made it. Baptism was literally and has always been in the heart of God about taking you from death to life, from the kingdom of this world, becoming the kingdom of our God. That has been his whole point. You are coming from what you've known and what you've been into something you are now invited into, and it's going to be the greatest journey and adventure of your life. And there's going to be a great cloud of witnesses around you who are going to cheer you on, hold you accountable, challenge you, and bless you by being a part of your life. Amen? So that's how it's going to work today. But for us, Takeover Church, we have got a prophetic word that we are stewarding over this house for 2024. And it is out of Matthew 21, 13, where Jesus says his heart. He says, this is what I want in a bride. This is what my church will be. All of the other things that you've thought of been, everything that you've seen it be the last hundred years, right now we are laying it to waste and we are going back to the heart of God. We're going back to the heart of worship. We're going back to the heart of scripture and we're going to the lamb's mouth himself when he says, my house shall be a house of prayer. 
a house of prayer. And I want to let you know, prayer goes so much beyond the religious obligation that you and I think prayer to be. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm actually not that young pastor who's got beef with religion. If I could say this, religion is the wedding band of our relationship to Jesus. Religion is the wedding band of our relationship to Jesus. It means that even when you don't feel like you wanna be faithful, you'll remain faithful because you got this ring right here and it's signaling to you, you still need to pray with your spouse, you still need to forgive your spouse, you still need to extend forgiveness in your home, plead the blood of Jesus over it, love your kids, come on somebody, am I preaching to anybody? It is the ring around the finger of your relationship with Jesus that says, I've made a vow, I'm not going anywhere, so whether I feel like it today or not, I'm gonna speak with you, I'm gonna love you, I'm gonna be kind to you, I'm gonna get in your word, I'm gonna look at you, and I am going to do this relationship with you. So I just wanna put to death this weird 2024 issue the church seems to have with the word religion, especially because the word religion actually comes from a time in our country, just so you know, and it was called in the first awakening, they said that religion was coming to the states. What did religion meant? It meant a great outpouring of God's presence. So if we can take that back and we can make religion great again, while we're making a lot of things great again, let's make a great outpouring of God's presence in the states again, amen? May it start here, may it start with West Michigan, may it start with the Midwest, and may it start with you and me. You and me, amen? So if you're taking notes, the title of my sermon this morning is A House of Sacrifice. A House of Sacrifice. A House of Sacrifice. And I'm going to be coming out of my big old B-I-B-L-E. So if you've got your Bibles, feel free to open up to 2 Chronicles 7, 1 through 22. 2 Chronicles 7, 1 through 22. A House of Sacrifice. It'll be up on the Sky Bible if you don't have your Bible, but if you don't have a Bible, there are these little blue ones around you. They're the ESV, which is the most literal English translation of the scriptures that we have to date. You can have that. You don't feel like you're stealing. It's yours. We've got a lot of them. Please take that with you so you have a Bible. I'd hate for a Christian to be walking around without a sword. Amen? All right. Second Chronicles 7, 1 through 22. If you're there, say I'm there. All right. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer... Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Somebody praise God. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the house. When all of the people of Israel saw fire come down, the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good and his steadfast love, what? Endures forever. And then the king of all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22 oxen, hundred or 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. The priests stood at their posts and the Levites also with the instruments for music to the Lord that King David had made for giving thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love. What? Whenever David offered praises by their ministry, opposite them, the priests would sound the trumpets and all of Israel stood. You see, in Solomon, he consecrated the middle of the court. 
that was before the house of the Lord, for there he offered the burnt offering, the fat of the peace offerings, because the bronze altar Solomon had made could not hold the burnt offerings and the grain offerings and the fat. What an altar. And at that time, Solomon held a feast for seven days and all of Israel with him, a very great assembly from the Libo Hamath, ah, Israel names, to the brook of Egypt. And on the eighth day, they held a solemn assembly for they had kept the dedication of the altar seven days and feasts for seven days. And on the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their homes, joyful, glad in heart, for the prosperity that the Lord had granted to David and to Solomon, to his Israel, his people. And thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon had planned to do in his house and the Lord in his house, he successfully accomplished. Oh, how I've missed the sound of Bibles turning in church. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and he said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this house for myself as a house of sacrifice. And when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from all their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will what? Heal their land. Now my eyes will be upon and my ears attentive to the prayers that is made in this place. If for now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David, your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rule, then I will establish your royal throne as I have covenanted with David, your father, saying, you shall not lack a man to rule Israel. But if you turn... If you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you, and you go and you serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you from the land that I have given you. And this house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all the people. Let it not be said of us, Lord. And at this time, which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done thus to the land and to this house? And then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord, their God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and laid hold to other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this disaster upon them. We're going to pray, and we're going to ask the Lord to come. Father, I love you. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for six years. We do. We thank you for six years. God, we're never going to take for granted. Every year, every Sunday, every service, every gathering, God, it's not missed on me. You owe me nothing. 
You owe me nothing. You don't owe me another year of takeover. You don't owe me another year of pastoring. You don't owe us anything, God. You have given us everything. Through your son, Jesus, God, you have awakened us to a kingdom not of this world. And there is something so much greater, God, than even this moment. So, Father, I say thank you. I praise you. I ask God that you would not take your Holy Spirit from us, but God, you would exchange us a heart of stone for a heart of flesh, that you would create in us a pure mind, God, that this morning, Holy Spirit, you would come and every other spirit in this room would go to hell, that every other spirit that is not the Holy Spirit, if there's a spirit of gossip, a spirit of dissent, a spirit of distraction, a spirit of suicide and depression, a suicidal alcohol, drug and new spirit in this room that wants to numb us to the pains of this world that only God on his throne can heal. We say go to hell from which you came so that only the Holy Spirit and his healing can remain in this place, in this space, at this time, here and now, God. We love you, Father. We thank you for coming to this warehouse. So come. Move upon earnest lives, earnest hearts, and change us from the inside out today. God, we didn't come to hear Pastor Matt. We came here to hear you. We didn't come here to sing songs by takeover worship. We came to join in with the anthem of heaven. So come, Lord. Have your way in this place. Have your way in these people. Have your way in me, God. If you're going to change anybody, change me today, God. And may we see Jesus rule and reign in this place, rule and reign in West Michigan, rule and reign in this nation. And Christ, we love you. You have our allegiance and you have our affection. And we will give you every ounce of glory and keep none of it for ourselves. Here's our crown. We lay it down. Come, King of glory, and have your glory. In Jesus' mighty name of faith-filled church said, Amen. Praise God one more time. Come on. A house of sacrifice, a house of sacrifice, a, a house of sacrifice. If you know me, I, you know I like threes. Like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you're getting it. I like my threes, house of sacrifice. Um, I'm not going to tamper anything just because we got some new people here for baptism. <laughs> just so you're aware. We live in a world right now that is quickly on its way to hell. We live in a world right now that is quickly on its way to hell. And friends, the reason I believe the world looks the way it does, the reason I see the world and it looks like hell and it smells like hell and it sounds like hell and it acts like hell is because, friends, I believe the church looks like the world, acts like the world, sounds like the world. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? I am telling you today that if the world is quickly on its way to hell, it's because the church has been resting in the world. We live in a time and space right now where I am telling you the God's honest truth. Because the world has gone mad, it's because the church has lost her conviction. And because she's lost her conviction, she has lost her voice. 
The world will not listen to that which is the same to it. And for the last number of years, the church has been in a place where we believed the lie from the pits of hell that if we acted like, we sounded like, we normalized, we assimilated, we fit in with the cool kids, maybe they would listen to us. The problem is when the church lives and operates in a hopeless manner, we have no hope to offer the world who lives in perpetual hopelessness. Friends, right now we are at a moment in space and time where I believe it is the greatest moment in church history. It's the greatest moment in human history. Pastor Matt, how can that be? Because friends, our God does his greatest work when it is the darkest it can be. You can look at the moment where Jesus himself died and the sky went dark and the earth split and it appeared that all hope was lost but God, amen? But God, amen? But God, amen? amen. And in this dark moment today, friends, what we are seeing is we are seeing actually a great death in the church right now where God has decided before judgment goes into the rest of the world, I'm going to start with my own home. And what we're seeing God do in this moment is actually a clear shop. He's taking men and women out of ministry who had no business being in ministry for as long and as prevalent as high as they got in ministry. Because God still cares about the one. God still cares about the 99. And it is better for certain pastors to no longer pastor for their salvation and their relationship with Jesus. And it's better for the church to go into her glory, into all that God has made her to be, if they are no longer at the head of it. It's a part of what he says his church will be. And so for you and I, we're in this interesting season where we can either go with what we've seen, we can go with what we've been taught, we can go with what's been modeled for us, and we can go with those hip, awesome Instagram ads about how to reach new people and how Gen Z uh, will be suicide-free, and I believe that absolutely, and all of a sudden the whole church is all about Gen Z. And last I checked in my scripture, our God is about generations. And so I believe there's going to be a revival of the old and of the young. I believe the end time revival before Jesus come isn't just going to be Gen Z and Gen Alpha, though that will happen. We are going to see a complete reversal of the curse of this LGBTQIA minus. I just got kicked off YouTube for saying that. We are going to see a reversal of this curse in our generation, in our day. But friends, I am telling you, we are going to begin to see a Micah 4 revival happen where the hearts of fathers turn towards the sons. And the hearts of the sons turn again towards the fathers. And we're going to finally awaken to the reality of what's always been in God's heart for his church. Is that there are young men for war and there are old men for wisdom. And that this whole thing can't just be about the next generation or the last generation. This whole thing has to be about generations. And I don't know what it is about God right now. But if you've heard me for the whole beginning of this year. Generational has been on my heart. 
Asia and I don't have kids yet. We're believing. We are praying. We are pursuing. We are still trusting the Lord that he's going to make a way for that to happen. But even in the midst of having absentee children at the moment, the Lord is birthing this father heart in me where he is calling me to father this house and pastor us into a place of getting our eyes off one specific group because we think it's going to make our church look cooler and more inviting. And we're getting our eyes off this last group of people who have been here and have been faithful, who have been awesome, but the other generation is offended at it, so we're kind of leaving you behind because the younger generation looks sexier. Welcome to Takeover Church. No, 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 our God is very much interested in generations. Our God is very much interested in generations. Our God is very much interested in reestablishing his kingdom in this earth. And today, through you and I, friends, I believe that is the calling of this house. I believe this is the calling of your house. I believe this is the calling of myself. And I believe this is the calling of yourself. I'm appreciating anybody this morning. Have I offended everybody? Good. I'm telling you this morning, friends, as long as you and I continue on the path that has been set before us of this idea of seeker-friendly Christianity that we have been passed down and we have inherited from a previous, I hope, well-meaning generation. But it's been counterfeited, it has been disrupted, it has been disturbed, it has been taken for the enemy himself because it has watered down the church, it has removed the teeth from Christianity. Last I checked, Christianity was about kicking the devil's teeth out, not losing our own. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? No, no, I don't serve a God who doesn't bite. I have a God who blesses me when he corrects me. Amen? I have a father who loves me when he doesn't withhold correction because he's worried about offending me. But instead, he looks past my emotions and my feelings and he sees what Matt McClure truly can be. And he sits me down and he says, son, this is what I see in you and this is what I see for you. And right now, those two places and that man does not line up. I appreciate anybody this morning. This is the hour, friends, where we don't shrink back from culture, but no, instead we stand up to culture because lives are dependent on it. And I don't just mean lives here and now. I mean eternal beings that if the church remains silent, will not have to wait to get to hell to experience eternal separation from God, but they'll continue to live in ways where they don't have access to the Father the way you and I do. And I don't know about you, but I can't live with that. But I'll tell you this, we are the only institution, people group, idea in the world that uses this phrase, quote unquote, seeker-friendly Christianity or seeker-friendly church. And the reason I bring that up is this, friends, the lost don't know they're seeking because Jesus says, if you seek me, you will find me. Clearly the world isn't full of seekers. They're not finding him. Instead, what we have are two groups of lost people. Those who know they're lost, but don't really have an answer for it. And those that celebrate their lostness. But that's the world we live in. And so what are we to do with a world that the church has forfeited her power in, forfeited her voice in, and because of that, we have now seen a world act more like hell. I believe the world acts more like hell because the church quit acting like heaven. I believe the world has actually ushered in a level of hellishness because the church has forfeited and foregone her birthright of heaven on earth.
the less we look like heaven in the church, the more the world will look like hell. Are you hearing me this morning? Am I preaching to anybody this morning? I promise this is going somewhere, but you've got to understand, friends, this is the level of which we are dealing with. But I'm telling you, there is good news. There is good news. It's that all of heaven has been made available to us here and now. It's that there's a level of glory. There's a level of kingdom. There's a level of power. Friends, I love this generation. I love this generation. But they will tell you and they will sit here and just say, hey, just preach the gospel, pastor. I am telling you this, friends. If there is no power, then it's not the gospel. If there's no power to change you from a sinner into a saint, then it's not the gospel. If there is no power to change Grand Rapids into the kingdom of heaven, then it's not the gospel. If there's no power to take someone who is practicing homosexuality and bring them into a place of seeing God rightly, therefore seeing themselves rightly, therefore seeing sexuality and the opposite sex and the same sex rightly, then there is no gospel, there is no power. But friends, I'm telling you, the gospel is the power of God. And the reason I said thing about YouTube is because found out, got a letter from them saying we were no longer going to be promoted because uh, I'll keep mentioning these things in my sermons, so that's fun. That's fun. Thanks, Zuckerberg. Is that who runs that? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't care. We're going to rumble. Um, anyways, two people know what that is. So why do I say all this? I say all this because, friends, this isn't about the newest thing, and this isn't even about the last thing. This is about the oldest thing. This is about the oldest thing. Why have I been resting so much this year in the Old Testament? It's because there is something hidden in the ancient pathways. Isaiah said to Israel, if you would just sit in the midst of ancient pathways, if you would just put yourself in the place of ancient ways, friends, the glory of God would not just move by you because you would be in its path, but it would actually come and tabernacle around you. I'm not interested in living a life any further where the glory of God doesn't tabernacle with us. I'm not interested in living a life any further where we have every expectation in church, but God would not show up. How many of you expected for there to be a celebration of a birthday today? How many of you expected to meet some people? How many of you expected to hear a mediocre sermon and some pretty okay worship music? I mean, the church doesn't have great Levites, so you know, just uh, like... How many of you expected to see somebody get dunked today? I mean, like, we have all of these wild, crazy, benign, harmless, normal, just impotent expectations of church. But when I read the Holy Scriptures, when I read the ancient ways, when I read these ancient ways, when I read these words, friends, I see nothing of safety. I see nothing that's normal. I see nothing benign. I see a king of glory who comes in a room and he takes over everything in the room. I appreciate anybody this morning. I don't see church where we just give God an hour and 20 buck tips and say, thanks for visiting Jesus. I don't know where we got fast food Christianity. I don't know where we decided that we were gonna live this life of being spiritually anemic, but friends, we are spiritually anemic. 
We have been euthanized to the voice of Christ in our generation. We have fallen asleep to his voice. We have been put to sleep from his presence. We have lived in such a way where we have encountered him for so long that we wouldn't even know what to do with him if he came into the room. That's not the church. That's not the bride of Christ. The reason God wants to spend so much time with the bride before he gives her, to, gives her to Jesus is because he wants to prepare her for what it's like to be married to Jesus. I preaching to anybody this morning. And so when we come in the church, we should actually have the highest level of expectations. Like friends, here's the deal. I'm actually really upset about this. If this offends you, I don't care. Okay. Last week was this really silly worship service called the Super Bowl. It was, and I know, Matt, Pastor Matt, you're a pastor. Of course, you're supposed to hate things that we worship. Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah, buddy, he's just stirring the pool of Bethesda, man. He's getting ready. The angels are coming. It's going to be good. I mean that. Come on. God might be speaking the truth right now. I don't even know. Let's go. I'm here to believe that. I read the scriptures. Crazier things happen. But this thing happened last week, and, and I go home, and I have some texts on my phone saying, hey, sorry, pastor, couldn't make the service today. I had to prepare for the Super Bowl. Run that by me one more time. Because I have the Super Bowl every time I meet with Jesus in this room. It's a touchdown every time. Every time I'm in this room, if that's 6 a.m. on a Friday, if that's 7 o'clock on a Wednesday, if that's, if that's 10 a.m. on Sundays, if that's 8 a.m. when our team gets here to pray and prepare, if that is when I come here, I have a Super Bowl all to myself where the King of Glory comes in the room and everything he, do, he does is worthy of all of my emotions, worthy of all of my praise, worthy of all of my response. And what I fail to understand, friends, is how we have got so spiritually anemic that we could literally live this life where we say, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my Savior, Jesus is my King. We can buy the t-shirts, we can take the pictures, we can recite the verses, and yet we can live in a manner of which we are more emotionally distraught when there is a fumble on a football field in a place we're not even at, a game we're not even playing, and remember friends, it's a game! How many of us are moved to the level of tears that we are when our team loses for when our friend finally comes to church but doesn't meet the Lord? How many of us have an emotional response the way that I saw video after video last week of people be like, oh yeah, we got it, or oh my gosh, they dropped it. Like all these videos I see of wives narking on their husbands publicly, by the way, I love you, salute but narking on their husbands and all of a sudden I am seeing what I should see as men of God who give a greater emotional response to a football game than they do when the king of glory enters a room on Sunday. There are men of God in this generation that lead their family better to the idol called the Super Bowl than they do call Jesus and his throne and his feet and his mercy and his grace in this room on Sundays. We can't keep going the way we have or else we'll keep having the results we've had. 
Do you understand? You want Gen Z to be suicide free? You want 50% of them who identify as LGBTQ and want to cut their bodies up to reverse course and know that they are loved and highly favored to know that God formed them in their mother's womb, that they're not here by happenstance or accident, but God has a plan and purpose for their lives? You want them to know you get grieved for the Lord. You get grieved for the Lord. Oh my gosh, friends, I am telling you, is there not going to be a holy remnant that just raises up in this hour and we decide, I can't take it anymore. Someone has a pain, someone's in a wheelchair, someone can't heal, and they come into my church and they come into this service and they don't receive healing. But I'm going to go throw my hands up in football and paint my body and run around like a madman. For people who are paid millions of dollars to do so? Friends, who are we? What are we? And what do we want to be and who do we want to be and whose foremost do we want to be? I understand for the last 50 years you've been living on Starburst Christianity every Sunday. And so for most of us, we don't even know what to do when the porterhouse of heaven comes in the room, King Jesus. We've been living on little moments. We are living on life support. Most of us, we exist in our relationship with Jesus on a feeding tube called reels called 60 minute clips of somebody else's oil, somebody else's revelation, somebody else's moment of sitting at the feet of Jesus. And for some reason, the devil's been able to convince us that's enough. You can make it to tomorrow. Keep your aimless scrolling. Don't speak to me. They were spoken to and they posted about it. But this is why we're in the condition we're in. And because we're in this condition, no wonder the world looks the way it does. Are you hearing me? This is the condition we're in. No wonder our marriages look the way they do. No wonder our children have turned out the way they have. No wonder the landscape of the world was able to change like this. Friends, COVID didn't break the world. The church forfeiting the kingdom of God did. Pastor Matt, what does this have to do with Solomon? What does this have to do with 2 Chronicles? What does this have to do with the Old Testament, the ancient past? What does this have to do with any of this? This is about, friends, we're getting rid of the new and we're getting rid of the old and we are pursuing something ancient. We are pursuing something that if we would actually give our lives to it, we would see the glory and power of God on full display in our midst in 2024. This isn't something we have to wait to get to heaven. Jesus' whole plan of the church was so that heaven could invade the earth. He's not waiting for earth to invade heaven when you die and are with him for you to experience his best. He's waiting for you to get low enough on the earth for heaven to come down through you and everyone can experience his best. Preaching to anybody this morning? This is, this is called Christianity. This is called biblical Christianity. This is called what is being known as a little Christ in the Old Testament. We want to bear the name without any of the evidence. Instead, we live in a time and place where every single day we're putting God on trial because of our issues. Well, God, if you were good, this wouldn't have happened. I was in a car accident this week, guys, okay? God is still good. My car is totaled. 
My body got healed today. My wife's been incredibly patient and kind. God is good. But we live in a generation right now that wants to put God on trial when it's you and I that are on trial. And while we were on trial, what did God do? That same thing that Pat, Prophet Angie prophesied over our church a good number of months ago. Jesus stood up in your courtroom in the middle of your case right when guilty was spoken and the gavel was about to come down and he stood in your place and he paid your price. Does our life bear evidence that we once were guilty but now we're innocent? What does this have to do with Solomon? It has everything to do with Solomon. You see, Solomon is the son of David. Do you know David? We love David. We love David. David was a man after God's own heart. And David is that example of, man, you can, you can be a man after God's own heart, but you can perpetually screw up your life. David was such a man after God's own heart that David tapped into something in God that God never even spoke since the beginning of time. God had said one statement at one point in time and David didn't even know it. Moses had written it down when he wrote the Genesis account, but David did not understand what God was saying in this moment. And yet David walked so close with God that he understood God's heart for humanity and God's heart for the earth. And it's this, right there in the creation account, it says God created the heavens and the earth. And then when he gets through all of the things that he said were good and the one thing that he said was very good, and then it says God rested in his creation and dwelled among his people. And David, he walked so closely with God that by the time he had the ark, and trust me, we're gonna spend some time on that Genesis verse this year. It's gonna be, but I've been waiting to preach this scripture for the last year and a half. Because the Lord's been just sitting with it with me. But David walked so closely with God in his age that God never had to say it. God never had to voice it. God never had to say, I decree and declare this is going to be. No, God had a place for people to meet. It's called the tent of meeting in Moses this time. He had the Ark of the Covenant that for some reason Israel was just like, yeah, let's leave with the Philistines. It'll go good. <laughs> and then David rises to kingship after all the Saul fiasco. Don't even get me started on that. Saul is the perfect example of what happens when God chooses you, but you decide to do everything without him. Yeah. Just so you know. Pastor, that's for you. Worship leader, that's for you. God will replace you. He has called you and he has made you for such a time as this. If you do not take that seriously and you get your eyes off him and you try to do all these things without him, here comes David. So David, he gets this heart and he tells his prophet Nathan at the time, Daniel, and he goes, listen, man, I don't know what it is, but I got this big old palace and now I have God, and, and God is here. And, and yet I have him in this tent. 
Like I've got all of the riches, I've got all of the glory, I've got all the gold, I've got all the grapes, I've got all the servants, I've got people playing fiddles to me to get me to go to sleep because Saul had some demons and they're like, this God needs it too. Like David has it all. And by his account, God is outside in the element having none of it. And David, for whatever reason, was so close to God that he got this Genesis account on the inside of him where he decided, I have a dwelling place and God gave me the greatest dwelling place. How do I not give him an even greater dwelling place? And so David, he decides to be king of Israel and he takes all of the country's money and all these things. And trust me today, guys, when I say a house of sacrifice, it's actually not about your finances, just so you know. Finances obviously play a part of it, but that's not where we're going to rest today. Just, just to alleviate that. Although I feel like if you get worried about a pastor preaching on finances, you probably got an area you haven't surrendered to the Lord yet, and it's green. So that's between you and the king of the universe. So... So David has this idea... And the prophet Nathaniel's talking to God and God's like, he, he wants to build me a house? Like he wants to, like, like, like why? <laughs> I've never asked, I never, I've never vocalized that since I created all of this, that I was looking for a place to dwell amongst my people. So why, why does David want to do this? And David's good and right response is, how can I have everything and have you outside? How can I have everything and not give you the greatest thing? But David, speaking of generations, David was actually disqualified. And David was unable to fulfill the dream in God's heart for a place to dwell that David got caught up in the same dream inside God's heart to create for him a place to dwell. David took his eyes off of God in moments of temptation, in moments of doubt, in moments where he was supposed to be on the king's battle, at the king's war, on the king's day, he was found at home, what? Fraternizing with someone else's wife. And so David, he's in the middle of trying to build this temple and he has all of the stuff and he takes all of Israel's money and he starts building this temple. He makes it literally a state figurehead for Jerusalem. We're gonna take the taxes, we're gonna do these things, we're gonna hire musicians day and night, night and day, praises to our king. We're gonna expend no amount of money. We're gonna give everything we have. There is nothing off limits. We're gonna pour it all into giving God a resting place in Jerusalem without even having a conversation with God about it. That's his heart. But there are moments where God had David's heart that God did not have David's life. Which is why here at Takeover Church, I preach against this so hard. We don't just say, God, come into my heart. No, we say, God, take over my life. I can't have this God who's just content with sitting in my nestly little heart with this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine and then go living like hell the rest of the days of the week. I need a God who's big enough and strong enough to raise me from death into life and to take over my life. Amen. I'm preaching to anybody this morning. Anybody saved and on their way to heaven? Anybody saved and living like heaven now? Anybody saved and filled with the Holy Spirit now? Come on, anybody come to get baptized today now? Amazing. Also, if you want to get baptized, we're totally cool with pulling the, uh, the rando. Let's go. So what happens to David? 
God had his heart, but David didn't always give God his life. And God says to David, because you have become a man of war, I cannot allow you to build me a temple. Could you imagine everything you've done, everything you've given, everything inside of you, you've laid it down to see his will for your life and for your city and for your family and for your people, all of the things come about but because he only had your heart in seasons, but not the full of your life in other seasons, you turned into something he never calls you to be. And all of a sudden, he, he doesn't let you finish what you and him started together. Do you know how much fear of God that puts in me on our sixth birthday? Right now, this is six years of my blood, sweat, and tears, late nights and heartbreaks, laughters, celebrations, asking my wife and my closest friends to give of themselves unto the Lord, both to sheep who love God's house, then to goats who will ram you when you're not looking, and then to wolves who will try and get in here and mess things up when you're not looking. And I've seen them all go through pain and trial and heartbreak and betrayal time and time again. And there's a way that Pastor Matt could actually live his life off this pulpit. That again, God would say to me, doesn't matter how much they've given, doesn't matter how much you've poured out, doesn't matter all that you've sowed anymore. You've become a heart of, you've become a man of war, you've become a man of lust, you've become a man of this, that, or the other thing. When he should have been a man of God. And because of that, Matt, I cannot let you finish building my temple. That's for all of us. So speaking of generations, because David wasn't faithful in his time, the dream in God's heart for a place to dwell in Jerusalem got passed on and was placed on the shoulders and the burden of the next generation. Friends, can I declare to you today that I am not interested in passing down a house of prayer, or no, passing down the material to a house of prayer for the next generation. No, I want to live my life and build this with my life here and now so that the next generation is actually birthed in a house of prayer, not tasked with building a house of prayer. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? That this wouldn't be something where all of a sudden we kick the can and the responsibility and the saving of Grand Rapids in this area unto the Lord for the next generation. But no, instead, we give our lives here and now to build for God what is rightfully God's, a dwelling place in this city, in this arena, in this time, at this moment that he has given you and I and the breath in our lungs to do so. And we won't pass this down to our kids and say, you build it because I failed it but instead they get to be birthed in a place called Zion. They get to live in the kingdom of God from Jump Street. They get to live in a place where miracles in rooms like this are easy, where demons can't even enter them because they've been marked, they've been consecrated, and they've been set apart. That they live this Nazarene lifestyle where friends, they are birthed in a way that they are already so peculiar that the perverse world can't get its hands on them. I appreciate anybody this morning 
the greatest falter in the last 50 years is that we decided we no longer wanted to be peculiar. And when we decided we'd stop being peculiar, we got a whole heck of a lot more perverse. And we joined in with the world. And I'm telling you, it is your peculiarness that sets you apart. Jesus said, my church will be a house of prayer and my people will be peculiar. They'll be strange. They'll be different. Why? Because they believe you can leave without a wheelchair. Why? Because they believe marriages can come back from the brink of adultery and affairs. Because they believe the prodigal can still come home. Because they believe there is restoration and redemption for homosexuality. Because they believe that either whether you're in the palace and you're famous or you're in the pits and you're homeless, you have a plan and a purpose in God that can redeem your life. That's what sets them apart. And so Solomon is now tasked. And the first six chapters, friends, of 2 Chronicles is Solomon taking all of David's plans, all of David's materials, all of David's riches, all of David's men, all of David's everything that David left to Solomon and said, you have to finish the story. And he left it to Solomon. And Solomon, yes, Lord knows, read his books. Homie got problems that he inherited from his father. But before he gave into that, what did Solomon do? He kept watch of his heart and he kept watch of his life. And he built for God a temple. He builds God this temple and he builds God this place where he can rest and he builds God this place where he can dwell. And all of a sudden there was this revelation birthed in the earth that would be echoed throughout eternity that is echoing in the heavens and in the earth here and now. And it is this simple revelation that God goes where he's wanted. God goes where he's wanted. You see, Solomon, he showed to God, he was faithful to God. He didn't just take this as, well, I guess my dad kind of sucked and uh, I got the debt of this whole thing. No, he looked at God rightly and he said, wait, you want me to build you a house? God, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. God, I don't know how I can do that. God, I don't even know where to start. And for six chapters, we see Solomon wrestling with this, but being obedient. And he takes the supplies and he takes the tools and he takes the men and he takes the hours and he takes the hard work and he takes the effort. And he goes through all of the things that it takes to go through inch by inch, completely following the guidelines that God gave David in his time. And he followed them to a T. What shows God that he's wanted? Obedience. Obedience. If Solomon would have had one cubic metric off, if Solomon would have cut some corners and said, my dad, he wasn't thinking big enough. My dad was old school. He wasn't thinking young enough. My dad has no clue what's going to attract the next generation. We can't do these old ways. We can't go down these old paths. We can't do these things he hurt. I need a new word from God on what his house is to look like. Are you hearing me? Are you smelling what I'm selling? Are you picking up what I'm laying down? Is this not our generation? But Solomon 
He rejected the new thing. He rejected the lie of the enemy to do something different than what God laid out himself to David. He followed it in obedience to a T. And he said, God, based upon how I have faithfully obeyed what you have asked my father and myself in this place to do and be for you, I'm telling you with my actions, I'm telling you with my money, I'm telling you with my life, I'm telling you with all that I am, you're wanted here. You're wanted here. It's so Solomon, he, he goes through all of this. And it says, he consecrates the temple. And he gathers. He gathers the people. He gathers the Levites. He does all the things that says, in the order that David with God set up. He got the musicians, he got the priests and the pastors. He did all of the things according to what God told David he wanted his house to look like. And so he calls his first church service. And it says Solomon finishes praying and all of a sudden the glory like fire fell in the room and filled the temple. Friends, I came to tell you this morning that fire falls on prepared altars. Fire falls on prepared altars. Fire falls on prepared altars. You see, the problem is that most of us, we've lived a happenstance Christianity, a genealogical Christianity, a normative, cultural normative Christianity. We're in a Christian country, so to speak, so we're kind of Christians by nature. We have Christian values that we didn't even choose when we met Christ. Christianity got handed down to us. We were raised in a church. We've gone to church. We've always been in the church. We live in an area where this normative, cultural Christianity <laughs> is running rampant in our city and in our arena. And so while it might be culture for us to be kind of like Christ, it's not been conviction for us to be found in Christ. And because of that, the fire hasn't fallen the way it's supposed to because we've not prepared an altar the way we should have because we didn't even know there was an altar that needed to be prepared. Because we've lived in a hand-me-down, second-hand, second-hand smoke, second-hand revelation, Christianity for the last 50 to 100 years in this country. And we're going, when is God going to move when we decide we want him to? How do we decide we want God to move? We prepare an altar for him to move. What does altar look like? An altar for God to move looks like a house of sacrifice. There's a time now, friends, where Christianity is finally going to come at a cost again. Where it's finally going to be a time and space where it's going to cost you jobs. It's going to cost you relationships. It's going to cost you followers. It's going to cost you friends. It's going to cost you sons and daughters who don't agree with you. Mothers and fathers who are ashamed of you for following God. It is going to cost you everything in the hour ahead to follow this Jesus. but fire falls upon a prepared altar. Fire falls upon a prepared altar. It says Solomon prays 
and the glory fills the temple. You know what's amazing about this moment? Is it says the pastors couldn't even preach. Did you know my role in the church, this thing right here that I'm doing right now, is the only part and function of the church that doesn't exist in heaven? And is the only function and moment in this first church service that doesn't exist? Why? Because when man is back in right relationship with God, and that means God is in the room with man, no pastor needs to preach to you because God himself is there, the perfect pastor, the perfect king, the perfect Lord, the perfect God. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? He's the perfect pastor. And there's a way, and there's an arena, and I'm saying, friends, I would love it. Alleviate me, oh God, if we just came into this place one Sunday and the glory hits this room in a way that I can't even speak because his glory has a hold on my mouth. Where his glory becomes a bit in the pastor, and he says, I've got this service. Where he says, I've got you, you're here to receive my son. I've got you. The strings are going to play and the band is going to sing and the king is going to go to work in his kingdom. Friends, I am telling you, we have gotten this so backwards where we have idolized pastors. All of a sudden they fall and our faith is broken. Why? Because you had faith in a man and not in a king. I got church hurt. Why? Pastor stepped out on his wife. Were you his wife? No. Then what's your problem? I'm not saying you don't have wrestling to do with everything he said, but what I'm saying is this is your cornerstone, not me. You heard it from my wife's mouth. Praise, <laughs> praise God. Worship team, you can make your way up here. Praise God that I am not. And so Solomon, he builds this temple. And the glory of God comes. And Solomon, he prepares this place and he prepares this altar. And it's amazing because he goes through all of the things. And friends, if you understood, 22,000 oxen, okay? 120,000 sheep. If you knew how long it costs, how long it took to grow them, shepherd them, clean them so they were pure and blameless, feed them, fatten them, attend to them. I am telling you, this is the most purpose-driven experience of all time, Christianity. We don't just get to happenstance our way into this and expect God to move in the miraculous. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? I'll say it over here. They were louder. We don't get to happenstance our way into this and then see God move through the miraculous. We don't. There's no such thing as happenstance Christianity. There is a, I have died, and now he lives. There's actually a place, friends, where we get to this, where we realize our altar is not big enough. Solomon, this is one of my favorite verses. It's so obscure. It's so random. I could preach on this for four weeks. Hear me. I got six-hour sermon in me on this one verse alone. He literally, he gets the fat of the sacrifice, he gets the muscles, he gets the tissues, he gets it all. He got the bones, he's separating things. He is, he is making the ultimate place for a burnt offering and sacrifice. And all of a sudden he realizes, my altar's not big enough. My altar's not big enough. Why is that? 
Because Solomon, hear me, Solomon prepared an offering for the Lord that exceeded his expectations of where he started. He had built this temple and as he did it, he fell so in love with the Lord that what he actually prepared for him outside of the temple to bring to the temple, the temple actually couldn't contain any longer. What if that was you and I? What if that was you and I? What if all of a sudden the people, the offering, the altar that we prepared for ourselves where we started wasn't big enough for what God has built us out there in? All of a sudden we're bigger with God than we started in here. All of a sudden we got more faith on Thursday than we started with on Sunday. All of a sudden we've got more conviction on Friday than we had last Sunday. And all of a sudden we're coming back to this temple. We're bringing more offering, more sacrifice, more of ourselves, more of our friends, more of our family, more of whatever. And realizing this altar, it's not big enough for what the Lord's been doing in me. I'm appreciating anybody this morning. Are you connecting the dots this morning? Would you stand? Friends, there is a reality. I love that. It's so obscure. It's so random. There is a reality where if we were living the way God said, this will be my church. And again, I'm not talking about institutionalized tradition. I'm not talking about 18 Hail Marys and you're forgiven. We don't worship Mary, we worship her son. She's pretty awesome. We love her. We don't worship her. I'm not talking about any of that. I am talking about seeing Jesus rightly preparing ourselves and altar correctly that fire falls on prepared altars am i preaching to anybody this morning in just a moment we're going to have the opportunity to witness people decide for themselves i'm going to prepare myself as an altar rightly and that is what i'm going to be baptized from death and into life from my old family into my new family I'm gonna put my hand to the same plow that Christ's hand is upon and I'm gonna drive his kingdom and purpose forward and I'm gonna leave my kingdom burning in the background. Preach to anybody this morning? God's house has never been, has never been intended to be anything other than a house of sacrifice. We've had a lot of mission statements. How many of them are, we're a house of sacrifice? Well, pastor, that doesn't trend well. It does in heaven. I'm not concerned with trending in the earth. I'm concerned with trending in heaven. I'm concerned with services that Jesus himself is peeking in on and coming to. I'm concerned with him having a rightful place for him to dwell in Grand Rapids. I'm concerned with him having a rightful place to dwell in your home, where your kids can be saved, where their friends can come over and all of a sudden their pillow that you've put out for them is filled with oil and they're like, what's going on? My mom's praying for you. 
I'm talking about a peculiar people who don't assimilate into a place they were called to be ambassadors to. The only reason you and I assimilate to places that we're called to be ambassadors to is because we've taken our affection from Jesus and we've put it on the earth. This morning, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray in this moment that God would come like he did in this scripture verse. Because all of this is the setup for this moment. For this moment where he says, if my people, he's done all of this. The temple's been prepared. The altar's been made ready. He has come and he has dwelt among them. And yet there's this moment where God ups the ante even more. He's already been in the room. What else is there for him to do? Well, you want him to flow out of the room and into the land, don't you? God says, how do I leave your room with you and I go into those streets and I heal that land? My people prepare. And then my people will pray, humble themselves and seek my face, repent, and I will hear their prayers. I will make this my home. I will keep this my home for all time. And I, your God, not only is this church his home and will he hold us for all of time. I believe that's a word for you and me if we do this thing rightly in 2024. But the other providential part of that, that is completely contingent upon how you and I respond today in this moment, is whether God leaves this place with us and he goes and he heals our land. Because most Christians are content with a church that makes them feel good, but God is abstinent. And then there's our church where we're content with God showing up and we get lit up. And then there's that next church that we are going to grow into being. Where God doesn't just come into this room and we're not content with that, but we take God out of this room and we take him to the streets. So I'm going to pray. If you're going to get baptized and you know you're going to get baptized and you're prepared to get baptized, feel free to go and change. If you're in this place and you're feeling like, man, I, I kind of feel like I'm supposed to get baptized today, we invite you to do it. Even in your clothes, we got towels, that's okay. Leave your cell phone and wallet out of your pockets, please. Some of you maybe should take your cell phone with you, might have some deliverance. But I'm going to pray in this moment. And we're going to listen, we're going to worship in this song. And then following this song, we're going to baptize our friends into the kingdom of God. But in this moment, right here, right now, this prepared altar, Pastor Matt, that's a carpet in a warehouse. You're right, it is. But we have prepared it with tears. We've prepared it with prayers. We've prepared it with knees, with aches, and pleas with heaven to meet us in this room. And if you are in this place and you want to see fire begin to fall in your life daily, not just momentarily or incidentally on a Sunday because you are here in proximity to the King, but you want to begin to live in a real tangible relationship with Him day and night, night and day, every day, I implore you, I challenge you, and I ask you for the sake of your relationship with God. Come and sit at this altar. Come and weep at his feet. Come and pray to this king of glory here and now as we sing unto him. Sound good?
Father, I ask right now, feel free to kill the lights. Father, I ask right now, I ask for your sons and daughters, whether they're new here or they're old here, to come to find themselves at your feet, God. That right now, Lord, we are looking to rend our hearts, God, young and old alike. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, right now I believe there is a call for generations to come up to the altar. Even if your kids are married, I believe there's fathers in this room that should be grabbing the hand of their sons and daughters and coming to this altar. I believe there are sons in this room and daughters in this room that should be grabbing the hand of their parents and coming to this altar. I believe in this moment God is saying, we're not going to kick the responsibility to the next generation. Let Gen Z run down trails that we've blazed in the natural. Let Gen Z run down trails that we've blazed in relationship with Jesus in the spiritual. Let Gen Alpha live and be planted in a garden in an overflow of our relationship with Jesus here and now, of oil that we've gotten for ourselves with Him here and now. Let's not leave. Let's not leave a move of the Holy Spirit for the next generation to bleed for and ache for and to pray for. But let's beckon it here and now and maybe they'll be birthed in it when they come. Father, I ask right now, I ask for the softening of hearts. I ask God that right now you would make us like clay in your hands yet again. Like when you put Adam to sleep and you formed Eve from his side, that right now, God, you would begin to take the raw materials in this room that you have to work with. And you would come, and for some of us, you'd come with a chisel, and you'd break things off us. For others, you'd come with the potter's hands that are gentle and consistent, and you would massage us into the place, to the image and likeness that you desire us to be. And then for everyone in the middle of those two extremes, Father, that you would come and you would be just that. You would be Father. And that right now, Lord, we would become a house of sacrifice. Not just as takeover church. How could we be a house of prayer without a house of sacrifice? How could we pray to you without giving our all to you? So, Father, right now, we're not just talking about an organization. We're not talking about a 501c3. We're not talking about a body recognized by the government as a church, God. We're talking about ourselves as temples, as sons and as daughters. Make me a sacrifice, oh God. Make me a prepared man, a prepared woman who, God, you can come and you can breathe upon that you can come and you can send fire upon, that you can come and you can make much of God. Don't wait for me to be done praying. If you are coming to the altar, you come now. You come now. Father, have your way in the rest of the service. But Father, most importantly, have your way in every single person in this room. Father, we didn't get saved just to give you part of our lives. We got saved so you could take over our lives. Jesus, we didn't plan a church for you to take part in it. We planned a church for you to take over it. 
Jesus, we didn't come so you could take part in Grand Rapids. We came so you could take over Grand Rapids. We didn't bring our kids here so you could take part in our kids. We came so you could take over our kids. God, we didn't come here so you could take part in our parents. We came so you could take over our parents. God, I didn't come so you could take part in our life. We came so you could take over our sexuality. God, right now, we didn't come to your knees. We didn't come and fall at your feet. We didn't call and surrender our lives to you, God. To have what we've only known and partially heard of. No, God. We came so we could see the ancient ways. So we could experience the ancient relationship. So we could have a relationship with the oldest being in existence. Who cares enough about us to pin his son on a tree. To break his body and pour out his blood for you and me. So that our generation doesn't have to pay the same sacrifice. So that our kids don't have to be sacrificed on the altar of the world, but instead they can be prepared on an altar for God to come and breathe upon. Worship team, you can take us up. Father, we give this to you, everything that we are, all that we've been and all that we will be with you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Come, fire fall in this room. Fire fall on these people. If we can utter, may we say Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name, worship team. Amen.